Now here's a guy who suffered for his faith. He suffered for speaking the truth. But if I say I will not remember him, or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. Can you imagine what, what he's saying? What he's saying is, every time I speak, I get in trouble. When I don't speak, it's like a fire in my bones, and I can't keep quiet. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our instructor for today's radio Bible class. Are you wondering who he's talking about? Well, it could be any number of people, but this is the prophet Jeremiah. The Old Testament prophets got in trouble a lot, and Jeremiah was no exception. They had the uncomfortable compulsion, given by God, of course, to tell the truth to kings and others who did not want to hear the truth. And no doubt you've heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. Well, those kings never heard about that idea, and they were just brutal to the prophets who were simply saying what God told them to say. They had a real habit of shooting the messenger, so to speak. So it took tremendous faith on the part of the prophets to keep telling the truth as God revealed it to them. But they kept the faith even in the face of torture and death. Today we're in the middle part of Pastor Steve's 10th message from Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 25 years. Verse by Verse Ministries now makes his messages available through this great radio station as well as our own website. I'll tell you more about the website later on in the program. We will be starting off in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 35 today, but soon we'll be looking in 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you would like to have your Bible ready, turn to those passages. Now here's your teacher, Pastor Steve. Now, what gave them the courage to die for their faith? And more importantly, what can give us the courage if we are ever faced in, in a similar situation? What if you have to die for your faith? Well, verse 35 tells us this. Notice at the end it says, here's, here's why they did not accept their release. In order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, what does that mean? The reason they were willing to die for their faith rather than accept their release was because they looked forward to a future resurrection. They wanted, the writer says, a better resurrection. And when you read that, you have to ask yourself, better than what? Better than what? What kind of better resurrection? Well, this is why I wanted you to see the whole of verse 35. Because at the beginning of verse 35, he spoke about the women who received back their dead by resurrection. But... The writer calls it a resurrection, but in pure theological terms, uh, that is not really a resurrection. That is simply, that was simply a restoration to life. Sort of like Lazarus had when Jesus called him back. It wasn't a resurrection in the truest sense of the, of the word. A resurrection in the truest sense means that you get a resurrected body. You don't die again. These boys died again. They, they just were, uh, uh, they were not given new bodies. They had the same old mortal bodies. They died again. And if the people, and here's what he's saying, if the people who were tortured for their faith had recanted and been set free, it would have been like a restoration to life, not a resurrection. They wanted something better than that. It would have been a reprieve from death. That was all it was, because they died. But they wanted a real and lasting resurrection, not a temporary postponement of death. That's what he's talking about. They longed for a resurrection that was better than the two mentioned in the beginning of verse 35. Now, what's the point of this? The point is that the only way to be willing to die for Jesus Christ and die for your faith is to focus on the future, not your present 
situation, to focus on the resurrection, to focus on your spiritual rewards, to focus on your inheritance in Christ. That's why at the end of chapter 10, the writer said that Jesus is coming again. You focus on that. Let me show you a few passages of scripture. If you'll keep your place at Hebrews 11, but turn back a few books to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is known as Paul's swan song. It is his last letter that, uh, that he ever wrote. He was about to die, and he wrote 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. And listen to what he said in verses 6 through 8. For I am already, now he's in a, he's in a dungeon. He's in a dungeon, ready to die. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. It means that, that he's, he's already on the verge of death. And the time of my departure has come, meaning to depart from this life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And you say, well, Paul, how could you face it with such calmness? How could you face death? In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but, all, to, but to all those who loved his appearing. That's how Paul could face death, with the calmness and peace, because he focused not on his present sufferings, but on the future, that he would be given rewards. How about 1 Peter? Just turn, turn uh, over a few books. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, this, is, this letter was written to a suffering church. That's the whole context of 1 Peter. It was telling them how to, how to handle suffering. But notice what Peter does immediately as he gets into this book after giving his salutations and greetings. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have a hope. Immediately when you hear, when you hear the word or see the word hope, you think of the future. We have a hope. There's something to look forward to. To obtain, verse 4 says, an inheritance. Here it is. We have a hope to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. It, it is reserved in heaven for you. It is waiting for you in the future. Verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there is, a, there is another aspect, a future aspect to our salvation. But notice what Peter says right off the bat. If you want to handle suffering, keep in mind that God has a great future plans for those who love him. Revelation chapter 22, you don't need to turn there, but uh, verse 12, the last chapter of Revelation says, and this was written, by the way, to the, to the church as a whole that was suffering, under Roman persecution, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Why does he say that? He's saying, in other words, hang in there. Let this be an encouragement to you. All that you're receiving now is not the end. You will have a better day. See, this is how God sustains us. He sustains us not because we have terribly deep faith, because we're really spiritual giants and uh, we, uh, we can handle anything. No, that's not true. If we're honest, we have to all admit that we're cowards. No one, no one in his right mind says, bring the sword on, I can handle it. No, no one does that. No one who's honest, I should say. So how, how does God sustain us? Because we have a, a simple childlike trust that when we die, we're going to be with the Lord and there is a future resurrection. When we die, our spirits go to be with Christ. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You, you ought to understand that. But your body does not go to be with the Lord. Your body is either goes into the ground or is cremated or whatever. It, it decays in one way or another. And then at the resurrection, 
God is going to give you a new body and going to take that body and unite it with your soul and spirit, and thus you will be with the Lord like that forever. But the moment you die, you are with Christ if you know him. And you need to focus on that. That is what sustains us, that this life is not all there is. That's all we've known. That's all we've experienced. But hey, we're people who believe the word of God. We don't have to see it to believe it. And we know that it's true. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. This is a verse you ought to know, you ought to write down, you ought to memorize. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So when you're going through hard times, remember, this is not all there is. It will end sooner than we think. So what the Bible teaches about the future for every Christian ought to be very familiar to you. You ought to know that. It ought to be something that you think about regularly. So you see, faith not only helps us to live properly, but it also helps us to die properly, to suffer properly. The question is, are you willing to die for Christ? And think about that. Don't, you know, it's very easy in the comfort of this church where you're rather secure to answer, of course I am. But are you really willing to die for Christ? Are you willing to, to die for him or, or would you deny him? Would you deny him if your life was on the line? That is something only you can answer. And, and, and probably if you're honest, you have to say to the Lord, uh, at this point, I think I would deny you, but you have to give me grace and God will. He will give you grace at, at that moment, but you have to be willing. That's all he wants is a willing heart. You don't have dying grace right now. You don't have martyrdom grace. But God will give it. All he wants is a willing heart to say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm willing, no matter what. Just give me the grace to go through anything. But not everyone, as we turn back to Hebrews 11, not everyone of the suffering heroes of faith were tortured to death. Some were not. Notice verse 30, 36, it tells us about some who were not tortured. And others experienced mockings, or I should say some were not tortured to death. And others experience mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. Some Old Testament characters experience mockings. I think of Nehemiah, who was mocked by the Samaritans. Remember that? How he was mocked and ridiculed? They said, come down from that wall. And what are you doing? A, what a silly thing that you're building a wall around, around Jerusalem. And there was Samson, who was mocked by the Philistines, and they made sport of him. And, they, and it says that some were scourged. That means they had lashings with brutal whips. Others had chains and imprisonment. Those were a lot of testimonies to faith, and there are more to come. Nehemiah is especially interesting. I was talking to a friend a while back who has been a Christian for many years, but had never read Nehemiah. If you have never read it, I encourage you to do so soon. It contains a lot of great teaching about faith, endurance, and leadership. Now, those people whom we most admire tend to be those who suffered the most and still remained faithful to God. Pastor Steve will return soon with some more powerful examples of faith in the Old Testament. We will have the rest of our lesson right after a brief welcome to those who have just tuned in. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are well into an in-depth study of the heroes of the faith, the members of the Faith Hall of Fame found in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, today is the middle part of a three-part message, Pastor Steve's tenth message on this subject. 
If you would like to hear the entire message at once, I'll tell you how at the end of our broadcast. Now, if you have your Bible ready, turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Here is Pastor Steve. One of the great men of faith that endured just about all of this and more was the prophet, the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. We won't go over everything, but, uh, but some of the things you should be aware of. Jeremiah chapter 20. You may not know this about Jeremiah. We think uh, what a great hero he was, and we want to emulate him, and, and uh, he's, he's a great example to us. But in his own day and age, he was not exactly Mr. Popularity. He was not in who's who in religious circles. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1, When Pesher the priest, the son of Immer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. And what things were they? They were things that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Don't make an alliance with Egypt. The, the Babylonians are going to come in and destroy this city. Your women are going to be raped. The children are be, going to be killed. Most of the men are going to be killed. The rest of us are going to be taken into captivity. The high priest said, I can't handle that. Or the priest, rather, said, I, I don't, we don't want to hear that. And so Pasher had Jeremiah the prophet beaten. Why was he beaten? Because he spoke the truth. Beaten and put him in the stocks that were in the upper uh, Benjamin gate, which was by the house of the Lord. Verse 7. And here's Jeremiah honestly expressing his feelings. He was not right in his attitude towards God, but it, the Bible is telling us, accurately what he felt. He said, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. God never deceived him, but that's how Jeremiah felt. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I become a laughing stock all day long. That was absolutely the case. He didn't imagine that. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Now here's a guy who suffered for his faith. He suffered for speaking the truth. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. Can you imagine what, what he's saying? What he's saying is every time I speak I get in trouble. When I don't speak it's like a fire in my bones, and I can't keep quiet. Later on, you don't need to turn there, but in chapter 38, verses 1 through 6, we read about, about uh, the authorities putting Jeremiah in a cistern. A cistern is, is a big hole in the ground, and normally you put water in there. Uh, in Israel, you, you see these things, these ancient uh, cisterns that they held water in because uh, Israel doesn't have a lot of rain normally. This last year they did, but normally they don't. And so they would hold, they would hold these kind of pots in the ground, have, have water would be held in it. Well, there was one that had, had been dry and all it was was mucky mud. And they, and they put Jeremiah in there. There's no way of climbing out. There's no ladder in that. And they had left him to die. And there was one man who, who sought the king and they rescued him. But that's what Jeremiah experienced. You see, God's people suffer for their faith. And, and not only physical abuse. You might think it's only physical abuse. I think perhaps the hardest type of abuse uh, and persecution is mental affliction. That's what most of us, at least in, in our culture, go through if we suffer for the Lord. Criticisms and, and ridicule and lack of popularity. And it's from people who you once trusted. People who were once your friends. Uh, that's where it really hurts. 
people who you got along with in a wonderful way. And in fact, that's what the Hebrews were experiencing. That's what the Hebrews of the first century, the recipients of this letter, were experiencing with their Jewish brethren. Some of them perhaps were family members. And now they, everything was fine as long as they went to the synagogue and went through the rituals and, and uh, practiced the sacrifices in Jerusalem and things like that. But once they said, hey, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and we're going to believe in him and we know from him we have eternal salvation, then their brethren turned on them. And they were tempted, these believers, to denounce their faith in Christ and go back to Judaism and avoid all kinds of unpleasantries. But... If you're ever put in that kind of situation, what you need to think about is that those who came before you, those who were faithful before you, they did not retreat. Let they be your example, and, and may God use them to strengthen us. Men like Jeremiah, who said his heart became like a burning fire shut up in his bones. You see, true faith always perseveres. Those who deny the Lord in a confirmed, affirming denial, never really had true faith to begin with. True faith perseveres because that's the nature of true faith. God gives us faith as a gift, and it continues. We don't just trust the Lord to be saved. We trust him in our lives, the rest of our lives, for different situations. Now, in verse 37, the writer returns to the specific types of suffering that led to the death of some Old Testament heroes of faith. Verse 37 says, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. Let's, let's stop there. Let's stop there. It says some were, were stoned. Uh, in Israel, stones are everywhere. They, they still are there. You watch the evening news and you see the, uh, the stones going and so forth. Uh, stones are, are everywhere, and they were always back there. Stones were in abundance, and they stoned some of the great men and women of faith. In fact, Jesus cried out in Matthew 23, 37. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. That's fair. That was, that was rather common. In fact, we have an example in 2 Chronicles 24 about a priest named Zechariah, not the one who wrote the book of Zechariah, but Zechariah who was stoned for his faith. And then the writer says that some were sawn in two. Uh, that means that they took a saw and cut him in half. You say, who was that? There's no one in the Bible that this speaks of. That doesn't mean that there weren't people. Obviously, there had to be heroes of the faith. Tradition says, and it's probably accurate because it, it comes from Jewish tradition as well as Christian tradition, that Isaiah the prophet was cut in two. And the tradition is, and the reason I say it, it is most likely accurate because it doesn't just come from one source, but the tradition states that wicked King Manasseh had Isaiah the prophet put in a hollow tree trunk and uh, ordered that tree trunk cut with a wooden saw, so it went through Isaiah. It says, the writer says, they were tempted. This probably means that they were tempted to apostatize, that is, to, to deny their faith. We're not sure any more than that. It says, others were put to death with the sword. At the time of Ahab and, and Jezebel and the prophet Elijah, many prophets were killed by the sword. 1 Kings 19, verse 10. Jezebel had many true prophets killed by the sword. 
And some of the Old Testament characters, while they may not have been killed, lived under miserable conditions, miserable conditions because of their faith. Notice verse 30, the rest of 37 and 38. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. And here's a parenthesis, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. In other words, they were poverty-stricken. They were mistreated. They were, they were made refugees on the face of the earth. Now imagine that. Think about that. The men and women that we admire the most, we study about them. They're in our hall of fame. If we had their pictures, we'd want to put it in the lobby and say, these are the great men, the great women. We, we study them, we emulate them, but in their day, they were not considered great. They were poor, they were homeless, they were ill-treated individuals. You might have even thought that the official uniform for a prophet was sheepskin. You know, that's what prophets do. They went into a store and they said, I'll have um, a prophet, I'll get that sheepskin or goatskin. But no, you might have thought, well, that's the way prophets are supposed to look. So everybody knows they're prophets. No, that's the way they had to look because they didn't have enough money to buy anything else. That's what the writer is saying. Men like Elijah and John the Baptist, they dressed that way because they were too poor to buy other clothing. That's why. And the people they ministered to continually afflicted them even to the point of driving them from their homes. And they wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and, and even holes in the ground. And, and in Israel, that is the uh, topography. In fact, I remember when we went up to En Gedi, which is where David hid from Saul, many caves around there, many places for David to, to have hid. And that's just the topography of much of, of, uh, of Israel. Now, there are two issues that I want us to look at concerning our, our faith and suffering for faith. Two issues that are related to this and very, very important for us. You need to ask yourself and you need to have a biblical answer as to why. Why do we suffer for our faith? Why is it? Why does the world want to mistreat us simply for believing God's word? What difference does it make to them? Why should they care because we believe the Bible? I'll tell you why. Because our faith is a constant rebuke to the world and everything they stand for. Because when we have come to Christ and we believe the word of God, we in essence are saying to them, we have turned our backs on your value system and your standards. We were there, but we reject it. And so they're very threatened by that because it's a, it's a rejection of everything they hold dear. That is the reason we sometimes suffer for our faith. It's not us the world rejects, it's Christ they reject. If He lives in you, then you're going to experience rejection from time to time, maybe even worse. Jesus came right out and told the disciples that the world would hate them because it hates Him. Our time is about up for today, so Pastor Steve will have that for us in our next class. Thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air taught by pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve's 25 plus years of teaching and preaching at Lakeside have given rise to Verse by Verse Ministries and this daily broadcast. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own church. 
Today's class was the middle third of Pastor Steve's 10th message on the heroes of the faith. If you would like to hear the entire message at once, you can order an audio CD or a cassette tape by calling us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a number and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-239-0306. To hear today's class again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. Besides today's lesson, we have previous broadcasts available on our archives page. There's even a free podcasting service if you want to make sure that you catch all of our future classes. We also would like to invite you to subscribe to our complimentary newsletter. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. Please join us again for our next class and the conclusion of Pastor Steve's message. He will be answering a vital question. The examples we have been studying have been pretty dramatic, haven't they? But if we don't respond the right way, they haven't done us any good. So we'll deal with that next time. I hope to see you then.